Welcome to Crosswords, the podcast about practical Christianity. What does it look like to walk in Jesus' footsteps? How do I live in a culture hostile to godliness? These are questions that we'll answer on each podcast as we get our heart and mind on Jesus. All scriptures quoted are from the New International Version. You can follow me on Twitter at Kingdom underscore Saint. Walk with the Lord today and be a blessing. Good afternoon, family. The peace of the Lord be with you all on this first day of the week. A pleasure to be here with you this afternoon. We are at a point, kind of midpoint, in Jesus' three-year journey that we're discussing, where we get to a great confession. And confessions are an act of revealing the depths of our soul. Confessions require boldness conviction, and faith. Today we will learn about the nature of true confessions. They cannot be coerced, demanded, or faked. Some people have preconceived notions and try to test someone with no intention of changing their minds. They are biased. That is what a hypocrite is. And these people tend to be intolerant. Their hearts are not really open. They are narrow-minded. Following man-made traditions and opinions, close your heart to the truth, as we learned last week. And Jesus is going to warn his disciples and us at the same time to watch out for this leaven, as he calls it, because it spreads like gangrene and it destroys your faith. A good confession comes from an unhindered mind that has received the word of God and a free heart that desires to proclaim it for the whole world to hear. Let's take a look at those who had ulterior motives, who wanted to test Jesus here in Matthew chapter 16. The Pharisees and the Sadducees came to test Jesus. So they asked him to show them a miraculous sign from heaven. They were there to test Jesus, and not in a good way. They had preconceived notions. Their testing was in vain. If their hearts were truly noble, they wouldn't be testing him in this way. They would be more like Nicodemus. Remember Nicodemus? He had questions. He had something that he wanted to ask of Jesus. So he actually went to him, but with an open mind, with an open heart. He may have had his doubts, but he was open to receiving the truth. As opposed to the people that constantly tested Jesus, asking him for signs. But hadn't they already seen signs? Wasn't there already enough signs to go around? Yet they kept asking him. They really didn't want to receive the truth. They had preconceived notions about the Messiah, and Jesus didn't fit that, so they rejected him. What about us? Do we have certain preconceived notions about God or Jesus when certain things happen in our lives and they're not like what we expected from God? How do we react? Do we accept what's coming to us or what we're experiencing as from God, as prescribed from God? Or do we reject? Do we get angry? Do we rail and rage against God, as the psalmist says? Do we try to test God? Or are we willing to freely receive his word? This is what Jesus responded to those who were trying to test him. In the evening, you say that the weather will be fine. 
because the sky is red. And in the morning, you say that there will be a storm today because the sky is red and overcast. You can forecast the weather by judging the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. Jesus is using a parable of being able to forecast the weather to test the hearts of these people. He's trying to tell them, look, you've learned to forecast the weather. You've learned to use the power of observation to come to certain logical conclusions. You've learned to read these signs. Today, we forecast the weather, don't we? We have better tools, but still the forecasting eludes us as time. We're no better, I guess, than they were at that time. Jesus seems to be saying that learning how to read the times, learning how to read the times, uh, the, so, the, the social times or where people are at, maybe requires similar skills. Adequate analysis of the times requires a proper interpretation of the signs of the times. And due to their biases, if you're a biased person, you're not equipped to adequately read people or even be able to help them. So not only do you remain in ignorance, but you also close the hearts of other people to the truth. He also added, evil and unfaithful people look for miraculous signs. But the only sign that will be given is that of Jonah. And he left them standing there and went away. So Jesus adds that their motives are exposed, their hearts are exposed by their request of a sign. People who are constantly demanding something, who are not uh, open enough to receive what God wants for them, but are testing God in a negative way, in an evil way, in a selfish way. They expose their evil and they expose their lack of faith. They were not being honest with their request and would not be able even to accept the sign if Jesus would give it. As a matter of fact, like I said before, that had, there were already many signs that he had performed, and yet they seemed to ignore that fact. They weren't able to accept it. They could have taken their pick of whatever sign Jesus had done, but instead their hearts were hard due to their unbelief. Their evil hearts, their unfaithfulness is exposed by their very mouths. Even still, look at how merciful God is, giving them a sign anyway, the sign for all generations which is the one that we preach about every Sunday, the resurrection, the gospel, the sign of the times. Some people have preconceived notions, try to test someone with no intention of changing their minds. That's what bias is. That's what hypocrisy is. And these people just are not tolerant. Their hearts are not open. They remain narrow-minded. Now we shift a little bit. To the next event, the disciples had forgotten to take any bread along when they went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Notice how many times they've already taken a boat to go to the other side. It seems like it was a frequent thing. You know, okay, let's go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, back and forth, back and forth. So here they were again, crossing the Sea of Galilee. This time they forgot to take bread. And while they're in their journey, Jesus tells them, be careful, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees because they, they had just been in their presence. And following man-made opinions, man-made traditions, closes our hearts to the truth. You know, we get biased, our, our mind gets truncated, I guess, in a way. And Jesus warns us to watch out for that leaven. That's what he calls it because it spreads like gangrene. Just like leaven spreads, 
It destroys your faith. Paul compares it to gangrene, destroys the faith. Just like mold, you know, once you get mold on a, on a piece of bread, sometimes we try to save the bread, right? We take the moldy part out and we eat the part that's not moldy. But I watched a, a YouTube the other day saying, no, just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not there. So moldy bread, you know, throw it out. That's what Jesus is trying to say here. You know, be careful because this kind of teaching, this kind of closed-mindedness will really truncate your faith. And so Jesus hears them. The disciples were discussing among themselves that they had not taken any bread along. And Jesus knew about their conversation and asked, why are you discussing among yourselves that you don't have any bread? You have so little faith. Don't you understand yet? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000? How many baskets did you fill at the end of that? Don't you remember the seven loaves for the 4,000? And how many large baskets you filled? So now he's reminding them of that lesson that we went over some time ago. They were not understanding, Jesus says. Why were they not understanding? He seems to be saying here, because they were not remembering. They were not calling to memory the events that they had lived before. Often we forget the details, the very things God has put on our path, the very experiences he has given us. Sometimes we're not paying attention to the details that we're going through. And we have to because we're going to need to remember those things so that our faith might not wane in the times that it needs to be there. We want to be able to draw the right conclusions from the experiences that God exposes us to so that we can continue growing in the faith and help others along. That's what the Jews were missing out on. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, those who follow man-made traditions, they don't pay attention to those things. They're not, their eyes are not open to the experiences God is taking them through. So they're not able to learn. Their faith is not able to grow because it's truncated by the man-made traditions and the opinions, by the preconceived notions. They're not able to remember, to understand, and grow from the experiences. So Jesus didn't want them to miss out on that. So he says, be careful of the leaven of the Pharisees. But the disciples thought he was talking to them because they had forgotten to take bread. So he says, man, you know, you have so little faith. What is going on? He adds, why don't you understand? That I was talking to you about bread. That I wasn't talking to you about bread. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he didn't say that to watch out for the yeast of the bread, but to watch out for the teachings of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And that's because false teachings and opinions misguide us. Sometimes ever so slightly until you find yourself completely off course. We are to constantly watch ourselves, watch our life, watch our doctrine, like the Apostle Paul tells Timothy, uh, constantly, uh, readily take everything in, focus on the Word of God as our main course and dessert for every single day. Any other morsels that we might be looking for in life, we want to filter them through the Word of God. So here we have Jesus coming to the region of Caesarea Philippi, and he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Now, of course, when you ask 
What's the word on the street? I think David Letterman had a, had a section like that. What's the word on the street? What are people talking about nowadays? So Jesus is doing a little David Letterman here with the disciples. What's the word on the street? What are people saying? And of course, when we open ourselves to what people are saying, we're going to hear a lot of garbage, right? We're going to hear a lot of opinion. We're going to hear a lot of preconceived notions. What do people say? What do people say? Too often we get caught up in that, right? What people think, what people say. That's the constant challenge people in the world are always in. We get caught up in people's ideas, philosophies. We might like, oh, that sounded good. That sounded like a great philosophy. That sounds like a great conviction. But will we also get caught up in their emotions, maybe in their conspiracies, because that's the word of the day today. What's the latest conspiracy? What's the latest false belief? Are you adding to the pot of opinions? Or are you as a disciple there shedding light, the light of Christ on things? So this is their answer. Some say you're John the baptizer. Others say you're Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So they were saying all kinds of things, but were they pegging him right? Notice there's a lot of interesting opinions. Oh yeah, John the baptizer raised from the dead. Oh, that sounds good. Elijah, that's true. You know, there was a prophecy about Elijah coming back to life. And they all sound good, don't they? I mean, if we didn't know the truth, hey, that sounds plausible to me. What else can we add to that? What's the word on the street? A lot of things can sound very plausible until you examine them against the truth. <laughs> and they, then they, their foolishness is revealed to you. But then he turns to them. He turns to his inner circle. And he asks them, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? People are going to say many things. Matter of fact, my neighbor comes to me the other day, this, this past week. And he says, Pedro, you know, what, what do you believe? Do you, be, do you believe people go to hell or heaven when they die? And I say, yes, I do. And he says, well, I don't know, you know, I don't know what to believe. And I says, well, Don, you have to really know God first and know what he says, trust that he knows the truth. I mean, who can we trust really in this life to tell us what is after this? Who can we really trust? Who has come back to life? So I, I questioned him. I asked him. I played a little devil's advocate. Who do you say or what do you say? And then let's compare that to what we can know, what we can tell from history, from one who did come back from the dead. You know, if you really want to know the truth, the truth is out there to be found. But are you brave enough? Are you man enough to want to know the truth? Can you handle the truth? That's the real question. So after we talked a little bit about that, we, he changed the subject and <laughs> talked about something else. Some people aren't ready to talk about those things, right? Most of the time, people are way off. But when you receive the word of God and when you learn to trust God and trust him at his word, then you realize that what God has to say is the most important thing. Anything else is moot, but the word of God is the truth. So Jesus asked them, what do you say? Who do you say I am? And of course, Peter, you know, he wants to come out and say, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. This is what is known as the great confession. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Messiah is just a Jewish word for anointed one. 
Whereas Christ is the Greek word for the same thing, for anointed one, the chosen one, the son of God. The great, this is the great confession. Peter ventures out to be the first one to offer such a confession and he hits it right on the nose. Notice though that the good confession doesn't necessarily mean that you are full of unwavering faith and strength. Because Peter yet had to go through a lot of trials in order for his confession to be true to his faith. But nevertheless, it is a good confession. And Jesus recognizes that. He, he actually acknowledges it. Simon, son of Jonah, you are blessed. You are blessed. No human revealed this to you. But my father in heaven revealed it to you. Jesus declares that a good confession, a confession of this kind, is not something that you derive from man-made opinion. It doesn't come from the word on the street. It comes from the revelation of the Father, from understanding his prophecy. If we want to be a blessed people, just like he said, Simon, you are blessed. Because you didn't let man-made opinion, you didn't let the yeast of the Pharisees make you believe one thing or another. But this comes straight from God. No man-made opinion leads to good confessions or to the truth about who Jesus is what his church is about, only a revelation from the Father. We're talking about the word of God here, only something revealed by him. And so the next thing that Peter says, sorry, the next thing that Jesus says in verse 18 has been the subject of a lot of controversy throughout the ages. And so today I offer you some insight into this so that we can know what Jesus is actually saying here. He says, you are Peter, and I can guarantee that on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overpower it. So Jesus is known to like to use play on words. That was a, some, something, a cultural thing. And so he says, wow, Peter, you know, you, you hit it on the nose. You had a great confession. Even though you're a little rock, the confession that you gave is a massive rock. And on that rock, Peter, I'm going to build my church. That's what he's really saying there. The good confession that Peter, the little rock, offered is that massive rock on which Jesus' church is built. Jesus' church is built on the fact that he is the Messiah, the son of the living God. But this English translation often leaves a lot to be desired in terms of understanding what is he communicating here about the church. Is he going to build the church on Peter? Is that why he said he's a rock? Like a lot of people have thought throughout the ages. And they even called Peter, you know, the first pope. That whole teaching comes from this verse, the misinterpretation of this verse. But if we read it in the Greek, we understand that when he says, and you are Peter, he's calling Peter a little rock. In the Greek, it's Petros, which is like a small pebble. That's what my name means, by the way, small pebble. You know, you can take it and, and throw it around. You know, you can throw it here, throw it there, throw it all over the place. Something that can be tossed, right? A small pebble. But he says, and on this rock, different, different Greek word, on this rock, not Petros, but Petra, which is like a massive rock, like a foundation rock, like something that is impossible to be moved, something no man can move, a foundation stone. That's, that's where Jesus is going to build 
his church. And what is the massive rock? The good confession. The thing that Peter had just offered. So he's kind of poking a little fun at Peter there. He says, wow, such a massive rock, Peter, came from such a little pebble. <laughs> That's the play on words that he's using here to express. So the question that we need to ask ourselves here is, this massive rock, this great rock on which Jesus is going to build his church, is that great or that good confession that does not come by human revelation or human opinion, but it comes by the revelation of God. When we accept God's word in our lives, we are part of that church that is built on that massive rock. But if we are holding on to man-made opinions, if we're holding on to traditions or things of that sort, conspiracy theories, you know, all these other things, you can include that in there. Beliefs about politics or about science or whatever else is floating around in social media. If we are easy, if we easily accept those things and are swayed back and forth, tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine that comes from man uh, mankind, then we're... We're not going to be part of what Jesus is building, but because that requires to be part of that church built on that rock, requires a firm conviction, a firm foundation, a firm faith that's directly received from revelation of God. On this rock, I will build my church. That's the confession I want to have every day. That's the confession I want to profess every day. The psalmist will say in Psalm 18, verse 31, For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? This was one of two times in the New Testament that Jesus himself uses the word church, which is the Greek word ekklesia. The other one is in uh, Matthew 18, 17. So twice Jesus uses that word church. Later on in the epistles and in the book of Acts, that word ecclesia, church, is found more than a hundred times. But in the gospels, it only appears twice. This is one of those times where Jesus is tying that idea of church or ecclesia or assembly or the called out together with the kingdom. He's joining those two concepts together. He's also announcing here whose church it is that he's building. It's his church. It's the church of Jesus. And how many churches is he building? One, my church. So all these revelations are coming out from this verse. And then in this next verse, He's tying this to the kingdom. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now he's talking to Peter. So Peter does get a consolation prize for his good confession. And that is, okay, you know, you'll, you'll get the keys to the kingdom of heaven here, Peter. <laughs> Whatever you imprison, God will imprison. Whatever you set free, God will set free. I don't have time to get into what that means. That's a whole other thing we'll maybe touch on some other time. But the fact that Jesus does receive the keys to the kingdom is the first time that we see Jesus tying this idea of his church and the kingdom of God spoken simultaneously. Jesus is leading us to conclude that the church is the kingdom of God. 
that his church that he's building on that rock is the it's God's kingdom on earth. Keys, of course, are for opening and closing. So we know that Peter is going to open the doors to that kingdom with his first gospel sermon in Acts chapter 2, verse 16 and following. So understanding the gospel of Jesus Christ is really that first key to the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is presented as the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. That is the massive foundation stone. That's the good confession. We just sang earlier today, Jesus is our firm foundation. What's the firm foundation? Why is he the firm foundation? Because he is the Messiah. He is the one, the one that God announced that would save us from our sin, the chosen one. And the work he was chosen to do is what makes God's kingdom on earth possible, what makes his church possible. He volunteered to be that sacrifice on our behalf to pay for sins that he did not commit. He came to reverse the fall of mankind, which occurred when Adam and Eve chose to go their own way instead of God's way. They decided they wanted to follow their heart. They wanted to follow the word on the street at that time postulated by Satan himself. Man has been trying to go his own way since with no hope of eternal life apart from God. But Jesus comes and he wants to reverse that by getting us back on the foundation, back to God's word, not the word on the street, but to God's revelation. So when we, like Peter, confess, when we receive the revelation of God from the word of God, and we decide to toss out man-made opinion, and we now come and, and make that great confession as Peter did, that's when we're ready to enter into this kingdom that Jesus started back in A.D. 33. And we come into the kingdom by way of immersion. We accept the gospel. We believe this gospel to be true. And so when we are baptized, we like Peter are making that good confession. We say, yes, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And based on that confession, we are baptized in his name. And we receive that forgiveness of sins. And instead, we get that sin taken away from us. And instead, we receive now the righteousness of Christ, something we don't deserve, but is given to us because that's what Jesus wanted to do. This is how God is working out our salvation through the whole world until Jesus comes again. So I invite you to pray with us after services. Lay down your burdens. Don't be tossed to and fro, back and forth by the word on the street, brothers and sisters, you know. Social media, uh, the news outlets, everybody has an opinion. Everybody's got something to say. Some of it sounds good. Some of it is way out there. But too often that just causes us a stress. It causes us stress because it's not from the word of God. So I invite you to let that go. If you're having trouble letting it go, please come. Let's pray. Let's lay our burdens down together before the Lord. Let's instead confess our faults, confess our sin, confess our lack of sight, and pray that we are willing to receive the wisdom of God, that we are willing to be led by God's word instead of the word on the street, so that we can take solace and comfort that we're part of a church that will never be destroyed, part of something that's going to usher us 
into the next reality. We're like inside an ark, you know, like Noah's ark. When Noah and his family got into the ark, the world was one way. After 40 days of raining and almost a whole year of being in the ark, when the doors of the ark were open, they were in a different world. It was entirely transformed by that cataclysmic flood. And so the same way, when we get into the church, by the time we get out of this ark on the other side, it's going to be a different reality. Remember that. And that's all because you decide to confess something that comes from God, that is revealed from God, not the word on the street. Let's lay that aside, okay? So anyway, if you have something that you want to pray for, remember after services, let's pray together. May God bless you this afternoon. Thank you very much for listening. I hope the Lord gave you insight into conforming to Jesus with today's message. I always appreciate feedback. You can send me your thoughts, musings, and comments directly through the Anchor app. You can also contact me on Twitter at Kingdom underscore Saint. Walk with the Lord today and be a blessing.